everybody what's up welcome back to the pet peeves podcast this is episode number 34 we have a return guest which is one of my favorite things to do is bring friends back on the podcast that were on a while ago and we have my maybe the second ever return guest my good friend richard lucchese richard welcome back to the podcast how are you Uh, i'm stocked up on toilet paper so i'm doing okay Stocked up on toilet paper well you know that's not a bad position to be in right actually i'm not stocked up on toilet paper i I we I've had a pack ever since the crisis broke out a month ago, and you know we're just wiping slowly now. So you're just being more conservative, and you still have the same pack. I ordered the bidet off of Joe Rogan's recommendation sponsor. Maybe it wasn't even him; it was somebody else. And uh, oh shit! Yeah, I mean on your asshole because of the duvet. It, like bidet. It ninety percent works well. I mean, it gets right up there. But oh yeah, it's you know you still. <laughs> I mean, what I'm finding you still, is. You st- yeah, you know, a couple hours later, you're like, what? In the no, fuck? you can't rely on the tool. You need some manual labor. Like, that's a real, that's a deep area. <laughs> yeah, you know, I can't let it get, you gotta it. get you, it. It takes some elbow grease a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, we got a bunch of toilet paper, and I don't, I don't know, man. I'm still at the point where I don't think the crisis, I don't think the solution to the crisis has anything to do with toilet paper. You know what I mean? Like, I think people are just going nuts for no reason, like, about toilet paper. Like, you're going to find another way to clean your asshole. Like, is it toilet paper? Really? That's where you're fighting old ladies over in the grocery store. Like me and Diana went to the to the uh, uh, liquor store and bought all of their napkins. And we bought like seven, seven like things of napkins. Oh, the real cheap like, pack. That? Yeah. And nobody else thought of that. We're like, <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> and I took pictures of it and sent it all my friends. And everybody's like, hell yeah, that'll work in a crisis. Right. If you, you got to do what you got to do. So anyway, and still to this day, like. I haven't, we still have a bunch of fucking toilet paper and there's nothing wrong. And I think everything's going to be all right. I think it's just going to take time. I can't believe that's what people went after in mass out of all the things like here where we are, there's no eggs available anymore. Like it's almost like they shipped all the chickens out of Florida. I I don't know what they're, I I, I don't understand how this place instantly turns into a third world country when the threat of. A, a, a possible flu-like disease is in the air, but most people seem yeah. to be fine. I'm not, I'm not saying that there's anything. It, it seems very serious, so social distancing, very important. But now there's no eggs? Like, what in the fuck is going on here? Yeah, man, that's my exact reaction. Like, eggs? Okay, so fine. I didn't even know that it was hard to find eggs. I didn't know that, but I'm kind of secluded. I'm working from home, so I, like, hardly leave the apartment. I was telling my wife, Diana, like, like, me going on a car ride right now is like a novel experience. Like that's something like, whoa, I'm in a car. I'm, I'm driving. Like I'm going 60 miles an hour. Like it's all an experience. It's a blur. I, had, I don't realize that I've been in my apartment like 90% of the time for the last month. Like that's a lot of time. I haven't been in one place for that long ever, ever. I don't think ever. And I just feel like uh, everything's st- st- standing still. I feel like everything's on pause and I don't know what's going on out there. My my wife does all the shopping, so I don't go to the grocery store. And the few times I tried to go, there was just a long line. And that's the only like negative experience I had. But once I got in there, it was still like fine. I had to stand six feet away from people. I had to wear a mask and gloves. Uh, everything I wanted was there. There was nothing that I looked for that I couldn't find. Uh, but I did not look for eggs or toilet paper. Um, but I have a shit ton of eggs. My wife was smart on that. I went to Costco and we have like three 
fucking stacks of a thousand eggs that I have in my refrigerator and I, and we're trying to use them. We're eating scrambled eggs for every breakfast meal. We're eating like protein shakes with raw egg in it. Uh, we're making like French toast and anything with fucking eggs, putting eggs in our ramen noodle. Uh, what else are we doing? Just eggs, 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 hard boiled eggs. We, uh, we, we, man, it's just like the incredible edible egg. Yeah. I, I also eat a lot of eggs. And so that's why it's concerning for me. I, you know, I like a lot of protein now and I've been going towards the keto esque style of eating in the last month, which has helped a little bit, uh, slim. Cause I'm also trying to exercise. And I was, you know, like this whole quarantine thing is just a peculiar thing to me because since 2014, we've been working from home. So no, almost nothing other than mm. bare empty grocery shelves now has changed for us. And actually we've ramped up our work ethic because, you know, she started a new YouTube channel and she's working very hard at it. And, and, uh, you know, just trying to fill in the gaps where there still might be some on the internet in terms of digital content. Uh, and so for us, it's just, uh, you know, I, I don't want to worry about having to go get a few items that I personally like. The other thing that was missing from the grocery stores for me, see, I, I, I try not to like, we, we go forward towards the minimalist style, I, I guess, but I'm, I'm trying to eat healthy. And the one thing I do is I drink a lot of water and I've been jazzing it up. Cause I've been drinking a lot of, lot less alcohol lately. So I've been jazzing up my water with club soda. And of course everybody fucking goes for the club soda too. The club soda is missing on the grocery store shelves. You can get all the Coca-Cola you want, but right next to there where the club soda is missing. Like what the fuck? Mm, what, what's it? What's it about my taste? All this shit is not there anymore. It's the only thing I want. No, it's you have very common taste. Right. You're not, yeah, that's it. Well, everybody's on these uh, the same kind of uh, bandwagon. You know, everybody wants to be healthy. Like for once, which is awesome, being healthy is trendy. You know what I mean? And I, I love that. Like it gets me wanting to work out. When I see people that, you know, I'll have some kind of conception of who they are because I met them once or heard about them or saw something they posted online. And then I'll see that they're avid uh, uh, exercise people. You know, they work out. You know, they're avid uh, health uh what would you call it? Uh, healthy people, health nut, avid health nuts, avid exercisers, worker outers. Okay, I'm lack of words right now, but it it always makes me feel like they're 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 doing more. You know, it's on top of everything else they're doing. It almost is like fueling everything else they're doing. Like if there's anything about somebody that I find to be inspiring, and then I find out that they exercise and work out and take care of their body and their health, then it's like wow. I, I bet it all is like coupled. I bet it, it goes together. Like the reason why you, you feel ambitious and powerful and confident is because you're healthy and you have energy and you're doing the extra that, you know, lazy people won't do. And it's so sort of like a mindset where you have discipline and it just goes hand in hand when you just uh, allow yourself to be out of shape and sick and ill and sickly and you don't do anything about it. Like this, this is not a, 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 a an, a novel topic. I hear about this all the time. People talk about this every day, that if you were healthy, then you wouldn't get sick and then you wouldn't need medical care. Right. So that's like with education, like how to take care of your body and education, like what to do if you're sick and coupled with taking care of your body health wise, like exercising, eating right, then you'll hardly ever need a doctor. You're hardly ever get sick. The chances of you needing medical care just are reduced dramatically. So like this whole health coverage debate and topic is really odd and awkward because in reality, the chance, if you take care of yourself, you don't really need 
health coverage. Do you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. As bad as the political situation is in this country, the quarantine has had so many positive benefits for so many people. We all are talking about that too. The time you've been given to share with your loved ones and, and just contemplate the universe a little bit more. Your busy life has been slowed down a little bit. If you lost your job, it totally sucks financially. You can't get through the goddamn motherfucking unemployment office, but you've been given a little bit of time to contemplate the universe. This is such valuable experience for a lot of us. I, I do a lot of contemplating yeah. myself of like, what am I doing here? What exactly am I trying to do? Am I trying to make money? Or am I trying to be happy? Is money going to make me happy? Am I going to be a little bit more happy if I fucking got a little bit more money to buy the thing that I actually do want? And I'm not trying to be overly materialistic. It's one fucking thing, not a hundred million different mm -hmm. other things, you know, yeah. not, a, not all sorts, you know, and I, I think being a little naive in this world, like being the health nut, but really just focusing on yourself, like trying to be a good person to, to whatever like little impact in the world you can make, but also just focusing on yourself, on your, on your, your health, for instance, is like, like, like I was talking with my cousin who, who's in the middle of his twenties and is extremely fit, the most fit guy. Like he doesn't even deserve to be in our family because he's head and shoulders way ahead of everybody dude. You know, like, like I, like I'm trying to stay healthy here with my little 15 minute body exercises, you know, that's nothing, dude. Sure. Yeah. You know, this guy was, I was chatting with him the other day and he was saying how all the gyms are closed, like we know. And so it's driving him fucking insane. Like he's not worried at all that people can't get through to unemployment. He's not worried that people are all lost their jobs or they're, you know, like now they're not gonna be able to afford the rent or any of these things. He doesn't have any of those problems. His problem is the gym is closed. And, yeah. and so like. Instead of responding to him and, and trying to tell him about the world, I was just listen, I just let him go and was listening more. And he's totally agitated by this because he he runs 10, 15 miles a day. I was home in New York last summer and I happened to be walking from my mom's house to the mechanic and I ran into him running because he doesn't live too far from my mom. Like we just accidentally yeah. ran into each other in the neighborhood when I was in New York for like wow. one week. Right. And so he stopped and he walked with me. He was like running with a shirt off. He's all fucking ripped and shit. And <laughs> yeah, he's not like, you know, like he's, he's, I would describe him as a little naive on, on the global situation because he's maybe a little bit selfish and focusing on himself, but maybe that's better. Maybe it, but is he does he is he happy? Yeah, I mean, he, other other than the exactly. gym being closed, that's his main problem. Like, like, I, yeah, like that's a small problem, you know. He, he's I, and he's still working out. He's not like making excuses. He's still running and shit. Yeah, you know? I bet he's not doing nothing. I bet he's still working out. He, dude, I just like, dude, I was like, your solution is do more push-ups, but like, is a joke. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. You know, but I think he's better off than the average person who, like, like me, who I'm like reading the New York Times or I'm like fucking, you know, I'm comparing the United States to South Korea and the way that they're uh, responding to the epidemic, the government with in relation to their citizens. And I mean, it is so easy to fall in despair with the situation that's going on in this country. Yeah, let's uh. I don't want to cut you off, but we've been talking for 10 minutes and we haven't introduced you, man. You have to like tell the people who you are. So Richard was uh, one of the first people that I made videos with in South Korea because you brought up South Korea. So I want the listeners to know because, you know, your ep your previous episode actually does have a good amount of listens. OK, so I do know people listen to that one, but let's expect more for this one. Uh, we met in what year? What do you think it was? 2010 or 2011. Yeah, it must have been. 
did I still live in Jechan or did I live no, in you had just Seoul moved, already? You just moved back and then you got the job in Ilsan. So what year was that? 2010. 2010. Uh-huh. Like August. Okay. So that's when he and I met and uh, I was doing stand-up out there and he was filming documentaries. Is that about right? Yeah. I had I had made a movie. I made one documentary movie in 2009 about the Korean education system and the university entrance exam because I was really into being a professor. I'd gotten this really good job at Kyunghee University. It was a top 10 university over there. Um, I, I had fallen in, I, you know, like like working hard and, and like having a job and then getting a master's degree and all these things that I kind of like worked too hard towards paid off when I got hired by Kyunghee. That changed my wow. that changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. So, so I met Richard then when right. he had uh, just started in. You had just started making films, though, right? So so when what was the what year what what was the month you arrived at Korea? I was I was September. I've been to, arrived. Yeah. So I was I, I've been to Korea twice, two thousand two, and then I w- I got back there in September two thousand eight. I came the first time in March two thousand nine. So almost, so within a year, we were there, like, we arrived almost literally at the same time. Yeah, about, yeah. So when he start, first started making films, I had met him on the comedy scene. You came to a comedy show, I believe, and then you wanted to film, like, documentary-style comedian lives and the, the open mic scene and the shows we were doing. And uh, so then Richard and I started hanging out, and we got to know each other better. And then, you know, we remained friends over the, you know, four or five years before I left Korea permanently. But were you still there when I left, or you had already left? 2015, I left. I left in 2014, the end of 2014. So you were still there. Oh, yeah, we hung out at my apartment right before I left. Remember, you came over? Yeah, of course. You were fucking cracking yeah. me up like there was no tomorrow. I couldn't fucking stop laughing. That was a good time, man. We had, like, some tall boys, some beers, and we had some some weed that I smuggled in. And, uh, <laughs> we had a good old time. Uh, and, you know... The Pet Peeves podcast, I always have to talk about it. I want to talk about it in the beginning of the podcast now. You know, the, mm. the new format really is that more than I ever could have known or expected, people give a shit about my opinion on animals. So the reason why I like Richard as a guest for this podcast is because he and his wife, uh, Stephanie, Steph, they, they have a cat who's like a major part of their online uh, personality. We got, we like got their online. Two. You have two cats? Yep. One of them's new, or you always had two? No, they're both Russian blue, so it's easy to like meld them together. We got one in Korea, we brought back, and then the other one we got when we were living in New York. Okay, what are, what's the names? Because I could have sworn you guys only had one Russian blue. So the one from Korea is Maki. Okay, that's the one I know about. And then we the, the boy is Minho. Minho? I don't remember Minho. Yeah. I know Maki. How long have you had Minho? So Minho is four and Maki is six. How long have you had him? We got him when he was a kitten. Uh, we got him after we moved home. So it had been, been February 2016. So you've had him for four years, and I didn't know about him? That's crazy. Maybe uh, I'm th- just a terrible friend. No, there's tons of, there's tons of vlogs of him being a kitten where we were filming daily videos. And so now looking back, like I treasure that because... There's way more footage yeah. that that's even humanly possible to watch in like a week. Do you time. Uh, are they your guys's cats? Are they her cats? Or how do you guys? How do you talk about it? Well, how do you describe the relationship between you and the cats and your wife? All right, so they're they're she's the cat mom. They are both our cats, um, 
and I, you know, I, I had a dog, in, you know, earlier on in my life, and I just wasn't a very good pet owner at the time. Um, we had a we had a dog growing up, but now I've, you know, I'm the 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 older I get, the softer I get with everything. I just try to learn from her. She, I didn't know shit about cats when we got a cat. I I really wasn't <laughs> I wasn't about getting a cat, and then I, you know, I had to just like watch the master because we got good cats because she's a great cat mom. Sure, man. That goes hand in hand for sure. Uh, I love your guys' cats, but the Russian Blue is just one of the best breeds cats. Smartest, beautiful, you know, super, super like popular breed because they're such great and for, breeds. And very loyal, you know, they, like she's super affectionate with us. And the boy who is not affectionate has learned from her and has since gotten closer and will come up and knead in bed with us. He's always sleeping with us on the bed every night we wake up. I just, I, I hope he's getting in there before we actually fall asleep. And then when I wake up, he's still there. And we, you know, what happened was we, awesome. yeah, we have a good, I, when you were in Florida and we hung out, I wanted you to come by so you could just see our new pad because we got a great layout here. Is it where you are right now? Yeah. Right now I'm in the living room, but it's basically her art gallery. <laughs> no, it's cool. I like all the the merch in the back. That's cool. I was filming in the beginning, Richard, but I turned it off because you know I I just think that my my uh, screen is blurry when mm. I move in and out, so it looks kind of shitty. And I got all this shit in the background. Like I didn't plan well enough for this, so I'm abandoning the video part. But anyway, I like your merch that I see in the back. He's got all his wife's art, and she's doing clothes and like uh, portraits or not portraits. What do you call it? Like uh, uh, acrylic paintings, can- canvas. Canvas, that's what it is, right? Canvas, yeah, acrylic painting. And that's that's something that they've been doing for a while. And his wife, how do you find her on uh, social media? So she just goes by Steph Ishler. Steph Ishler. Steph Ishler. Yep, and she's got a new YouTube channel called Finger Painting Star. Finger Painting Star. And I'll put it all in the description. Just make sure you send it to me because I think that what she's doing is awesome. And, uh, you know, her, her art is amazing. You guys should definitely check it out uh and follow her online let's share some uh let's share some some love in these dark times of coronavirus yeah she's trying to the finger painting star channel is exciting because we noticed something we 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 started youtubing a long time ago and yeah that's what i wanted to get to so i want to like fast forward my relationship with you so then we can start talking again but first of all uh the cats for the pet peeves people, I just want everybody to know that the the Russian Blue is an amazing breed of cat. Definitely go check that breed out if you're into cats. Um, Both our cats are Russian Blue. One, yeah, that's what I figured. That's what that's what you said. Yep. So that's awesome. So check those out. My wife more than me by far because she mothers them. She like c- cares for them more like a mother, and I definitely don't. I'm more like more like uh, I don't know, selfish. I guess right. So it's uh it's it's interesting that a lot of people have that relationship with their pets at home, but my cat is still my cat and my dog is still my dog, even though they obviously prefer my wife over me. But it depends on what we're doing. <laughs> it depends on what we're doing. So and I saw that they play together. They bring a rough house. Oh man, they go at it. It's hilarious, man. It's the best. They they'll do it for hours and hours. It's so funny. So I can understand the dog being all about that possibly, but the cat really looks eager to play with the dog as well. So can you like Yeah, so explain how that 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 transpires? Well, I mean, it's it's an ideal situation, right? You need to have the right dog and the right cat and the right environment and the right people to like regulate it, right? So first of all, I I am a good pet owner in in 
my own opinion and a lot of people's opinions. So when I met my wife, she already had her dog, Angelita, that if you see the Instagram, she has her own Instagram too. So she was already a great dog. So I can't take full credit. My wife did some of this. And like I told you before, she's an animal lover. The reason why her and I have a great relationship is because we're both animal lovers. Like my wife allows me to have the pets that I want because she loves them too. And the dog was just already a great dog. And it's also because of breeding. Our dog is a rat terrier and dachshund mix, both really smart, good dogs. So mix those two together and have the, the, my wife that took good care of her. My dog is already like very much wants to please us, like really wants to please my wife, really wants to please me. So she's easily trained. Like we could train her to do anything. So when my, when we brought home the kitten and the kitten is a kitten, so it doesn't know any better, right? So the kitten is only going to do what we allow it to do. And my dog, the same thing. It's only going to do what we allow and encourage. So when they first started playing, my dog plays rough. My dog plays rough. Like you said, and you said, you understand, we've all seen dogs play rough. But when my dog meets other dogs, she either gets too aggressive where we have to like separate them or the other dog equally likes to play rough and they just play, play, play. But sometimes the dog or my dog, it gets too far. It's like two brothers wrestling. Sometimes they get mad at each other and punches get thrown. You know what I mean? So my dog was already like that. So when they were playing the kitten and the dog, every time my dog would get too aggressive, we would check her. We would stop the play. We would put my dog in the crate. We would, uh, you know, have her calm down and then let her play with the cat again. And every time she would play with the cat at an appropriate level, we would encourage her, tell her she's a good dog, pet her, pet her, love her, love her, love her, give her treats. And then she learned, okay, there's an appropriate level and an inappropriate level. And then I also know that the cat is gonna get bigger one day and be able to handle herself. So I'm not worried about the kitten or the dog, really. They're both pretty small, right? They're not really gonna hurt each other when I'm standing right there. And in the meantime, I'm gonna keep them separated. Like I would have never left them alone together during that training period. But once I saw them interacting normally and appropriately over a long period of time, then we started leaving them alone together a little bit, you know, like shorter and then longer and longer and longer periods of time. And now we can leave them together a lot. But the other problem is, you know, they'll cause other problems if we leave them alone together. So we always put the dog in the crate when we leave because they could get into any trouble. You know, they're, they're, they're crazy. So we can't trust them. What were you going to say? Well, if that, if that dog is anything like his, his daddy owner, then yeah, of course it's going to be a little crazy. Yeah. It's a girl, but she's crazy. Yeah. She's crazy. All right. And how does the cat react when the dog is initiating play, rumbling around? Uh, the cat, it's like, it goes both ways. Sometimes she wants to play and sometimes she doesn't. And the dog, the same. Sometimes she wants to play and sometimes she doesn't. It's very like casual relationship. They really like, sometimes they play together and one, sometimes the cat will, like the dog will be asleep and the cat will want to play. So the cat will come up to the dog and like fuck with her, like bite her lip and pull her ear and try to wake her up. And my dog will lay there and snarl and lift her lip and growl at the cat. And the cat doesn't care. My cat is not afraid of the dog at all because they've been together so long and the dog's never hurt her once. So she has no reason to be afraid. And what? And so tell me a little bit more about your cat. Is it a boy, girl? What's the breed? What's the age? The cat is a the cat is a girl. She's Pebbles. She's a one-year-old female spade domestic short hair. She's black. Uh, she's not all black. She's got some white and some like tabby stripes. If you see her in the right light, she has some brown tabby patterns. 
she's one years and the dog is five years. So we had got the cat when the cat was eight weeks old and the dog was already four years old. So the kitten grew up with the dog and the dog was already very well trained. So it wasn't that hard. And, you know, I'm not an idiot about choosing which dog or cat I'm going to take. And we chose this particular cat because she wanted our attention. You know, this was the cat. We found her in a barn, in a cow barn, and she ran up to me. And I was trying to ignore her. I didn't want a cat at the time. I was not interested in getting a cat at the time. But this cat kept following me and following me. And I like cats. I like animals. I just didn't want one. And uh, then I told myself, like, if that cat keeps following me, I'm going to take it. You know, that's what I told myself. If it keeps following me, I'm going to take it home. And then it stopped following me. So I was like, cool. I don't have to take this cat. I was like happy almost. And then some time went by and we left. And then we came back to that same place and the cat was there again. And then I couldn't say no. And then I took it. And then uh, they got along with my dog like from day one. From day one, we would force interaction with them. You know, we would put them next to each other and make them interact with each other, make them sleep next to each other, make them sit next to each other, put them in the crate together and force that interaction so they would like understand that this is like necessary. And, uh, you know, there's probably different ways to do it, better ways to do it, but it worked for us. And as far as their play, every once in a while, they one will make the other one cry or whimper or, you know, scream or whatever. And then they stop. Like they're, they're intelligent enough to know that then it's gone too far because every time one of them cries, myself or my wife will interject and stop the play. We'll separate them. And, uh, you know, they learn, they learn pretty fast. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's probably not that uncommon. I'm sure there's a lot of dog and cat owners out there that dog and cat play together just like mine do. Like I've seen a ton of YouTube videos. They're hilarious. But it is something I could watch all day long. I could watch my dog and cat play fight all day long. It's always hilarious every single time. And the and the new introduction to the team is the bearded dragon, Toothless. Have you seen him? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Dude, yeah. So that is he, so he lives in your apartment also? Yeah, he's right here. He's sitting next to me. So you have so so the so the, the cat and the dog are both female, and then you got you got what's it what is the iguana? No, he's a bearded dragon. He's a lizard. Bearded dragon. That's insane, yeah. dude. Bearded dragon. And he's like eight turning nine months old. He's almost nine months old. And he is getting bigger and bigger every day. And he plays with the dog and the cat too. Like I'll put them all out in the patio together. It's a little like enclosed area mm-hmm. with fake grass that my dog poops and pees on. And uh, they'll all go out there and play together. And I'll literally see the bearded dragon chasing the cat and jump on my cat's back. I've seen it happen more than once. I keep trying to capture it on video, but every time I try to film it, they don't do it. But it's the craziest thing. The bearded dragon loves my cat, will run after the cat, and the cat will try to play with the bearded dragon too, but I'm very afraid that my cat will accidentally hurt him, so I won't let the cat play back, but I'll definitely let the beardy run after the cat, and I let the beardy sleep with the dog. Like, we'll put the bearded dragon on the dog's bed, when the dog is asleep and we'll make them like sleep together. And then they like later on, I'll trust them together. You know, like if I'm trying to get some work done, I can have the bearded dragon out and the cat out and the dog out all at the same time and not have to worry about them killing each other. That's my end goal because I can't leave the beardy in his terrarium all day, every day. He'll fucking lose his mind. He's a very intelligent creature. He's very aware. I know if I leave him in there all the time, he's going to get bored and start having all these health issues, which in the end is going to cost me money. So I try my best to give him a lot of playtime 
to display more natural behavior. They say the more you let them explore and move around and, you know, kind of interact with their environment, they'll display more of their natural behaviors. And that's what I want to see out of him. I want to see him acting like the bearded dragons are supposed to act. Like the dog should act like a dog and the cat should act like a cat and you should act like a Richard and I should act like an Albert. That's what I want to see. Yeah, there's a lot of ways I could react to that. I was thinking about (laughs) how our cats interact. And really the, the takeaway for me as a pet owner was getting our second kitten. We got him when maybe 10 or 12 weeks or something like that. He was born on January 1st. Okay. And so it makes it like easy and confusing at the same time to, yeah. to remember how old he is. New Year's baby. Yeah. Is he one? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but to me, he's very special because, you know, I, it's, you know, it's the first, we, we both, we got them both as kittens, but I got to see what it was like for a second child, what it seemed like it was a second child, like totally sure. unfair circumstances. <laughs> you know, you don't, mm-hmm. you don't get to experience the world the way the first one did. Like, yeah, it's true. They're, they're, for me, it wasn't even close. They were he he didn't he never had a chance out of the gate. She totally knew she 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 didn't like his presence in the beginning. You know, really? Yeah, because she you know it was like invasion of her like totalitarian space, right? Yeah, well, cats are tricky, man. I would never introduce you know? a dog to a cat, but I would introduce a cat to a dog. Okay, yeah, I mean, you know a lot of cat- you you know, I mean, you're the expert. Um, yeah, well, uh, cats are. You can you can have two young cats grow up together, sure. but it's very difficult to introduce any cat to an adult right. cat, let alone a male and a female. Yep. Maybe two females can get along, but a male and a female, probably not. A female and a female, probably not. A female and a, or a male and a male, probably not. Yep. But like two two females, maybe. Two young females or any young. Like if they're young and they grow up together, they'll probably be all right. But, you know, it's difficult to introduce a cat, an adult cat to any new animal in the house. Yep. They're not, they're going to be afraid. They're going to be territorial. It's going to be stressful for them. We took the approach that, I mean, we, I feel like I'm, I just feel extremely fortunate for my situation. You know, we try, we, we've had, she and I have a good relationship and we've taken the time to make decisions together on a lot of important things. And when we decided to get a second cat, our, our, our Maki, our older one was right around two years old. So okay, it was so not super old. It was yeah, right. It was it was at the point where you're either gonna do it now or you don't you definitely don't consider doing it say a year from now. Yeah, yeah. He's pretty young. Two years old is young. Yeah, and she's very healthy, so it looked to us like she was gonna have a very long life. So to get a partner with her um at that point, because I mean we brought her back from Korea. She took she flew on the long haul flight three times. Dang. Yeah. Maki? Yeah, and with all the documents we had. And the second time we came back, we came back through Canada. So then there was that layer of documents and fees. Um, the health certificates? Yeah, whatever. I just, dude, I'm not that guy. I'm the guy that can get it all for you as fast as possible and not even know what I just did. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like get all this, like, get, get, my, get it done. That's right. Get my passport stamped and then all the payments, everything, you know, like quick and then I already got it. And I couldn't, and then people are like, oh, what'd you do? Like when people, it, when we live in Korea, they would ask me what type of visa I was on. Like I was on an E2. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. I was focused on other things. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know, yeah. yeah, this goes back to like contemplating your life always and always trying to like, you know, you never stop asking those questions, have that curiosity.
What's up, Pet Peeves Podcast listeners? If you or someone you know has a cat and you notice this cat drinking from the bathroom sink or from the bathtub, it's because cats prefer cold, fresh, flowing water. Most people leave a bowl of water on the floor all day and cats don't like to drink it. This causes a lot of cats to develop kidney diseases later in their life. We'd like to recommend a plug-in automatic water fountain to our listeners. The Purr Power Pet Fountain is perfect for cats or dogs. It has a centralized fountain, which is great because we had one where it was on the side and my cat and dog would make a big mess. The sound of the water flowing will attract them to the fountain and they can drink fresh flowing water all day. It does come with a filter that needs to be cleaned and changed from time to time, similar to a Brita water filter. Use our Amazon affiliate link in the description to purchase the Per Power Pet Fountain and you will help support the Pet Peeves podcast. I recommend this for any pet owner out there who wants to prevent kidney failure and kidney problems in their cat or dog and for people who just want to get their cats out of the sink and out of the bathtub. Use the Amazon affiliate link in the description and help the Pet Peeves podcast grow. Thank you guys and let's get back to the episode. Well, that's that's the other thing that I, you know, we've talked about the pets. Great. Thank you. But now I want to talk about why I like Richard. I like Richard because he successfully willed himself into a successful YouTube channel when I didn't know anybody else who had done that. He's the first person that I knew personally, like have ate with, drank with, drank too much with, had weird conversations about aliens with, and actually had a successful YouTube channel. And I just want to know how you fucking did it. And he gave me a lot of advice. So for for any of my videos that had any success or any of the ideas I had, it all stemmed from Richard's ideas and conversations I had with Richard. And really, if it wasn't for Richard, I would have never started video editing myself. Like I took took it upon myself to learn how to video edit because I saw what Richard was doing and I wanted to do something similar. So not, you know, not to not give him some credit, but a lot of credit for the reason why I'm doing all the stuff online. A lot I learned from Richard going to his house and filming stuff and watching how he set things up. And he was always a professional. So I think the reason why you had a successful YouTube channel and the reason why you get frustrated is because you know what I know, that if you put enough effort and time into something, you can solve that problem. And like you were saying about, you know, how to get things done in Korea, how did you get your passport or what's your E2 visa? Those things don't matter once they're solved. But something like creating a business, like a podcast or a YouTube channel that you want to continue to not just exist, but to grow, takes continued and continued effort, creativity. And that's that's what other people don't understand, right? So I'm looking at you as somebody who's an entrepreneur, just just doing what an entrepreneur does, thinking about their next big idea. Uh, you know, somebody else can look at your life and be like, wow, they did it. And you're like, yeah, I did it, but I want to continue doing it. And that's what other people I think don't understand. Cause people look at me like, oh, you're doing a podcast now. Like, no, first of all, I've been wanting to do a podcast for a long time. I had to wait for the right time. And it seems like everything worked out the way it was supposed to. And, uh, you know, now that the podcast is growing great, but it, there was a lot of time where I didn't think it was ever going to be anything more than it was in the beginning where nobody listened and nobody cared. But then suddenly people started listening and I don't know what changed. I really don't. From one episode to another, all of a sudden people started listening. And uh, I don't care. I don't care why, right? But I'm going to keep doing it. And for all the people out there that listen, thank you. And for Richard being here and being a part of that journey with me from Korea in 2010, 10 years ago now, cheers. Uh, It's good to be here. You know, COVID-19 or not, man, 
we're making progress. Cheers to that. Yeah, that's right. Cheers. And uh, my wife told me that I shouldn't talk about smoking weed so much on the podcast. So let's have one little smoke toast. And uh, let's do it. Then we can we can talk some more. Okay. So cheers to you and me. Shout out to Stizzy. I got my. I like my Stizzy cart. Yeah, dude. I got my Florida medical marijuana card. I have that, which feels so fucking surreal in itself. Like, first of all, yeah, is that something new? <laughs> yeah, they they got it down here. So that's what this is. <laughs> And yeah, when? since I think it was January this year or maybe December last year. What are you, what are you talking on there? Cause it's got, I'm going to die. It's got you coughing. It's a stizzy. It's a, uh, weed oil pen, but it's a, just a weed oil battery. It's just, I like it cause it's got a magnetic clip that holds it in instead of a screw on like your pen uh. because of my pens always break or die or stop working or the. The cartridges that are in the pens, like the wax will melt through or a bunch of shit will get melted in there and it'll be unsmokable. And I just have my pens always break or die. I have like six, I have a drawer full of broken pens. What they've done here in Florida is catapulted the percentage of THC in the oil so fucking high mm. that when you go back to smoking regular flour, like... It doesn't even get, it's not the same. it doesn't even get, it's not even, right. I'm like, <laughs> what in the fuck is going on here? They're, they're like, well, we're spoiled now, but it's more expensive. Like what I pay for a stizzy cart, it's one gram of oil. And that'll last me about whatever. It's like, it's a gram, right? So basically it costs $55 for what it would, for amount of weed that somebody would probably spend, I don't know, $30 on in flour. Do you know what I mean? So the oil is more expensive. So it is something only somebody that can afford that $20 is going to even have the experience of knowing like, yeah, it's, it's better. Cause now I only have to hit this once and I'm fucking high for hours and, as opposed to right, and, if I'm smoking flour, I got to keep smoking if I want to be this high. And also you got to take 10 hits. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. You know? And this doesn't smell. I love it. it. There's no smell. Right. So there's a, that's, that's a little peculiar too. Yeah. I, I mean, what's the percentage on that one? Uh, I mean, I had it on a box, but I think it's like, 88 or 89 percent thc and like uh that's that is two or three percent cbd <laughs> it's a hybrid it's, it's amazing what they can do literally anyone who's over yeah. 18 years old now in california can walk in and get it i guess you have to have id or something I'm, you don't have to be 21 i'm pretty sure you have to be 21 21 so that's it just 21 i'm, I'm pretty sure you don't have to pass any yeah, tests you have a valid id and you're 21 you could get it Mm -hmm. so and it's so casual it's super casual i mean i've gone in there after work with my scrubs on and run into co-workers like that's happening <laughs> as much as you don't want it to as much as it's awkward it's like fuck man i guess i live in los angeles you know it's like running into a co-worker at the liquor store is it any different it's no different i'm about to go get fucked up <laughs> right right mm -hmm. yeah and it's safer than alcohol yeah absolutely it's like yeah if i I honestly, if I see, if I run into you at the weed store, I'm probably going to like you more. If I run into you at the liquor store, I'm probably going to be like, this dude's an alcoholic. I'm not, you know, because I'm delusional. The the stuff I've been, I've been pulling on here lately is I like after a couple hits, I'm fucking giggling my ass off. Like I can't even Good, stop man. it. Good for you. Right. Well, it, Good for you. It, I think the first few weeks of COVID though, I, I personally suffered. I suffered. 
Um, cause I just was like, I don't know. I'm a guy who look who like, I don't know. I think you, you refer to it like, I look to the future or I'm just like, I don't know. I've been doing that since I've been doing internet stuff. So now it's more natural for me to look to the future for things. So I just do it in my spare time about anything, anything I want, you know, I can let my mind run free. And, um, so when I, so when this happened, I was just like seeing the future, you know, like you only get two choices in this country for president. You only get two choices, you know? So if Biden's going to be the other choice, that's a, that's a terrible other choice. It's the same as Hillary. Like what's going mm -hmm. on here? So that's another four years. Like now we don't, we can't look forward to this election for instance. So then I got that on my mind, you yeah. know, because like I care too. I mean, you have to, in order to actually be happy in this world, you have to completely ignore politics 100%, which is, you have to fucking shut yeah. the internet off. Yeah, it's not that hard, man. I just don't pay attention. You know what's yeah, on my Yeah, but you have to completely media, not. Like, you. how do you, you, you know what's going on a little bit. You, it's easy, dude. Right. No, no, I don't, man. I'm telling you, listen to me, right. Richard. I don't know oh. what the fuck is going on. I don't know. I went to go vote and I had no idea how to vote. I had no oh. idea what any of the categories meant. I had to ask a thousand questions. I'm a fucking moron. The only thing that is on my mm. social media that I care about is wrestling, <laughs> UFC, comedy. Uh, what else do I watch? That's it. Those are the only three things I care right. about. Comedy, wrestling, UFC. But even veterinary shit is very... Uh, since I do it at work all day, it's not so much on my social media, aside from this podcast. My social media is mostly my stand-up comedy. And then my podcast is my podcast. So, but I try to really brand myself as a stand-up comedian, not as the pet peeve podcast, even though I'm, I'm doing the podcast as a comedian because I teach veterinary medicine. It's not like I don't have an outlet to help people with their pets. I have one. This pet podcast is just like for fun. You know what I mean? And you should be having fun at it. You basically fall into my cousin's category. Like that's perfect. Right. So you're happier than me. Because you can, like, naturally block that shit out. Oh, dude. Well, I don't care. Well, listen to me. This is what I was going to say. How old are you? You're, like, 41? 44. 44. Okay, so I'm 36. And I think as I've gotten older in this age, I think it's particularly people in our generation. And I think you're with me. You're, like, a, uh, like a, you're a generation Xer, right? Yeah, but you're almost, you're closer to, so Stephanie and I are 10 years apart. Mm -hmm. And we, it's clearly after... After being with her for 10 years, it's clear that we are not in the same generation. No, so you're, no. And you, you're, you're more with her, I think. Sort of, but I'm more of an old soul, all right? Let me... Let me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, but what I want to say is that, like, man, now I lost my train of thought, but we were talking about the generational differences. See, I shouldn't have smoked all that weed. No, We were talking okay. about uh, finding our vocation, right? Like, I'm doing this for you're, fun. No, oh. how, no how, right. How you, how you were able to block out the negativity. Yeah, okay. Because I've learned... Through my life watching politics online and also living abroad, that it's it's very much a show, right? And also me being in comedy and me being wanting to be in the entertainment industry, but at least knowing people and having friends and, you know, taking classes at the Second City and doing stand-up for such a long time. Like, I see this big act when I watch anything on television, anything on TV, anytime it's edited or commercials or anytime... Anything even released on the internet, you know, like if it's on a screen and it's been filmed and edited and released later for content because somebody has an agenda and a point of view that they're trying to push, you can't, you can't trust it. Anything, everybody, all of it. So anything that's not like happening to me in this room, I, I don't absorb it unless it's for entertainment, like stand-up comedy, entertainment. 
right? And then the UFC, entertainment, no problem. I don't have to get involved. It doesn't affect me, right? It's just for fun. But the veterinary medicine, I can actively participate. I can go to my school, teach my students. They go off, find jobs, and then help a thousand animals over the course of their life. You know what I mean? That's and something you help that I facilitate that. Right? I feel that. I feel it. I feel that in the community where I work and teach, that there are probably 30 different veterinary professionals that have helped over those 30 people, probably a million animals. Do you know what I mean? And that's like, that's, that's something that I'm sure is, you know, reasonable, reasonable that over those people that, you know, just by working in an animal hospital for five years straight that I've been teaching at this school since 2016, uh, you know, and, and then think about all the animals I've helped over my 10 years as a veterinary technician. You know what I mean? So if I look at it that way, then I don't, I don't have to worry about veterinary medicine, me having any weird agenda about it. I'm not doing it for money. I'm not doing it for fame. I'm not doing it to, to make a name for myself. Like I help animals because I'm good at it. It's not that difficult for me to teach somebody about their pet. Like it's kind of easy. And, uh, that's, that's something that you can only get from a proper vocation, something that you can make money off of. That's not a challenge for you to do day after day after day, even for free. Like I don't get tired of it. I don't get frustrated by it. I could just do it. Like I don't, I don't necessarily like teaching Richard, but I've been a teacher for a long time. Do you know why I like being a teacher, Richard? Because teachers don't work on the weekend. That's why I like being a teacher. Well, and also you're supposed to get summer vacation off too, right? Yeah, but I haven't for so long. Like when I worked in Korea at a Hagwon, I worked in the summer. Right now I work at a private college. I work in the summer. I don't get vacations. I've been a teacher the, the whole time since I left, since I graduated college and I've never gotten a summer off. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you did comedy at the comedy store? Uh, when I roast battled April Lotshaw, I think that was like, I don't know when that was, January? I think that was in January. So just shortly mm -hmm. before everything shut down. Yeah, it was like the middle of January, beginning of January, something like that. It was a close so, match. I lost. Fuck. Thanks for bringing that up. When, excuse me, <laughs> what's it like to do comedy there? Uh, I mean, it's hard to explain I, because I performed there a bunch of times now, but the first time... I think you don't, you're so focused on the performance that you're not really taking that into consideration. You know what I mean? Like I knew it was a big deal, right? But I don't think I realized how big of a deal it was. I don't think I realized because now I kind of regret the decisions that I made then, right? If so, I knew. So, so, so stop there, stop there. So what, what, what exactly are you referring to? Because you, there was, you, you, you've made two separate entrances into that place so there you were there before and then you moved away so can you talk about that sure so i first performed at the st comedy store on a bringer show with this guy brian monarch and during this bringer show most bringer shows are really shitty and terrible right but i got lucky i was on a good bringer show with this guy brian monarch and brian monarch uh would have really legit headliners okay so he, and the other uh the other bringer shows sometimes would have legit headliners and sometimes the bringer show producer would be the headliner and they were some like no name comic. Whether they were good or not, doesn't matter. They weren't famous. So Brian Monarch had famous people on. So I did shows with them and I got on the original room stage really early on in my stand-up career in uh, LA, which is like fucking unheard of, like to have that opportunity. 
And uh, what really happened was I got that show and it didn't dawn on me how important it was because I didn't know how difficult it was because it was so new to me. I had just been in LA a little while. I had just been doing stand-up in LA, even shorter than that. So when I got the opportunity, I just thought that it was sort of like not that hard. You know, I thought it wouldn't, I guess it's not, to me, it didn't seem that hard to get the opportunity, but I got the opportunity because I had a really good set at another comedy club, Flappers in Burbank. Flappers in Burbank, I had uh, done an audition, got booked in a small room, did good in that small room, did well, and then they booked me on the main stage in that club. And then I had a really good set on the main stage in Flappers. Somebody on that show gave me the email to Brian Monarch. So I contacted Brian Monarch. He put me on the show and the comedy store on the main stage. So it happened like so naturally, like I didn't do anything special. That set I had at Flappers was just like a regular ass set. I was just like doing my thing. It wasn't special to me. Do you know what I mean? It was just a good set. And then I got on that main stage and I had a really good set at the original room. I'm sorry, the original room in the comedy store. I had a really good set. The guy who put on the show told me, great job, dude. So then I thought, like, that's just what's supposed to happen. You're good. You're a comic. You move out to LA. You do some shows. You get booked. And then you're famous, right? So then I had all these delusions of grandeur, right? Because I was getting booked and none of my friends were, right? I was still, I first started hanging out at the comedy store because of people I met at Flappers. So then I started doing- so Brian Monarch originally invited you to the comedy store? Yes. So you knew him from some other gig that you had done? No, I just sent him an email. I said, he was a producer. A, a, one of his, a, a comedian that he does know referred me. Do you know what I mean? So my, my friend, whose name is Travis, who's a, maybe was on like four episodes ago, Travis Van Ryan, he just referred me to Brian Monarch. I sent Brian Monarch an email. Brian's like, hey, Travis told me you're funny. Come out to do a show. He trusted Travis, right? And Travis and I have remained friends since then. And uh, I got on the show and I did a good job. And then so I kept doing shows with Brian Monarch. I did like four or five shows with him in the comedy store. So before Roast Battle, I was already doing shows at the comedy store. When Roast Battle was blowing up, I didn't, I, I, I was right underneath it. Like I was already doing shows there, but I didn't know about the comedy store. That's how like big this comedy scene is and how different the roast battle community is from the stand-up community. Like it's very much the same, but different. It's there's a lot of stand-ups who won't do roast battle. Do you know what I mean? And then there's a lot mm. of roast battle comedians that they don't their their stand-up isn't what they're known for. They're only known for their roast battle shit, even though they are stand-up comedians. So it's just like this weird clash of wor- worlds. Um, but they're all joke writers, right? That's the essential part of it. No matter what, you're a stand-up or you're doing roast battle, you're all joke writers. So uh, that's where we all bond. But for my experience there, like I, I, I knew that I was onto something. I knew that my jokes worked, but I also knew that my jokes were limited because my jokes from uh, that I was doing in Chicago weren't doing that well in LA. But the jokes that I was doing in Korea were doing well in LA. But I didn't have too many jokes from Korea that I liked. I didn't want to be known as the Korea guy. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not what I wanted. I didn't know what to lean into, but what worked for me was the material about my mom, right? That shit. So then (laughs) eventually, eventually, whatever. uh, So to answer your question, like it it feels like an opportunity, but it also feels like surreal. Like you don't know what to do with it because from the minute you walk in the door 
and you see how people react to you and then you start doing stuff and it goes well and people treat you one way and then you do stuff and it doesn't go well and people treat you another way. And if you're not an idiot and you recognize those patterns, it almost makes you want to stay away from it. You know, like, and I think about this all the time. Like I never wanted to be famous. You know, that was never, ever like something I ever thought about. I just wanted to tell jokes, make people laugh. And, you know, it did give me confidence and a sense of identity and it did help me get girls, right? I can't deny that. But at this point, <laughs> now now that I'm married and have a job that sustains me, why do I keep doing comedy? For the same reasons. I like telling jokes. I like making people laugh. I like writing jokes. I like collaborating with other comedians and putting out material that people enjoy. Uh, you know, that all feels really good. I like being creative above all else. And then, uh, you know, the fact that I can make, like I said, make money off of my job, helping people with their animals, but continue to call myself a comedian because I get booked still at the comedy store to roast battle. Do you know what I mean? That feels great. Did you see they just put out a roast battle highlight video? No, I did not. Do you know any estimated date when they might be reopening to the public? No, it's like, it's like, uh, they, they told us like maybe TBA. next month. TBD. Yeah. They said they don't know, but they're, they said April or May. That was something that I got in an email from them. But that was like a month ago. So things have probably changed. And they definitely stressed in the email that they don't know for sure. These are all like tentative. Um, but anyway, like the, the, the feeling now that they still embrace me there, that I can still go there and hang out, feels great. There's nothing like it in the world because I went back to Indiana, you know? Because then when I was in Indiana, I never thought I was going to make it back to LA. I thought right. I was stuck in Indiana for sure. I thought my wife was going to get pregnant and we were going to fucking stay in Indiana. That's what I just imagined. I had a decent job. I, I didn't hate my life. I just hated that I couldn't do comedy. Comedy in Chicago is not the same as here in LA. It doesn't have the same energy. It doesn't have the same type of people. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't like that. I tried to do the second city, man. And it's just so white, man. I don't know how else to explain it to you guys. It's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Uh, but Chicago, at least they're really PC over there. They're really like socially aware, conscious. So that like... And if you're lucky enough to not be stuck with a room full of white comedy writers, it's a great environment there in the second city. But so many of the classes, I think, were ruined because it was a, I was stuck in a room with all white guys. And I'm just like, man, it's not that this isn't a good exercise for me, but this is not my style of uh, writing or comedy. Mm -hmm. But I learned structure from them that I'll never forget. Like, it was priceless. Mm -hmm. the, the writing structure that I learned at the second city fucking priceless weather in chicago fucking worthless well and out there th that seems to be the place where besides new york city everyone's going if you're into comedy what was your first time in the original room like was was it packed were there a lot of people there it was fucking packed man to the gills and there was uh you know it only seats like a hundred and some odd people 150 people maybe and like maybe less than that and 30 of them they were there to see me it was a bringer show so i had to bring people so I brought like 30 people, friends of mine from work, and I was new to LA. So a bringer show is easy to get people to come out to when you're new, when you're just starting out in comedy and, oh, the comedy store, and you send them a flyer that says comedy store, original room. Then they all come out, but then they don't come out much after that. Right. But so so that, that show, first time is really important, mm, right? Right. So they came out and it was awesome and I killed and and uh, it felt great. I told, I, I still have the recording, man. I still have it. I still listen to it. All the jokes came out right. I fucked with a guy in the front row. I did some crowd work. 
and then afterwards, I got really, really drunk <laughs> and kind of made an ass of myself with the producer, but he forgave me. He's a cool guy. Shout out to Brian Monarch. Um, but I did get nice. way too drunk afterwards, but it felt, it felt like a huge accomplishment. What it felt like, uh, honestly, it's like, I told you so that's what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Cause when I was in Korea and we were doing stand up in so South Korea, there were so many haters out there. Cause I always had the, the mentality like, no, 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 you guys, we're really funny. We could do comedy at a bigger level than this. You guys are putting limitations on us in stand up soul that we didn't need to have these limitations. We could have done we could have been the headliners. We were like flying in headliners and paying them thousands of dollars. Like, dude, we could do that. All we have to do is put on bigger shows to force us to do longer periods of time and work our way up to like an hour and then film that like as a special. Like I had all these big ideas and they were looking at me like I was crazy. But I was like, no, 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 no. There are people out there doing what I'm talking about and they're not smarter than me. They're just not. Like I just know that there's dumb people out there achieving the things that I want to achieve so it's just a matter of like making it happen. Go to where the people who make it happen go. So I was like, I got to get my ass back to the United States and Chicago or LA. Like those are my two options. Chicago because it's 30 minutes from home or Los Angeles because I knew so many people from Korea in LA. There was a bunch of Korean motherfuckers out here. How much comedy did you do prior to arriving in Korea? Uh, I had been doing comedy for three years at that point, but I had only done comedy a few times. Maybe in that three-year period, I had done comedy like 10 times, like maybe mm -hmm. 10 different open mics over a three-year period. I didn't take it seriously. I didn't know what it was. I just saw it on TV, wanted to do it. You know, that was it. Like, I didn't do any research. I didn't look into open mics. I stumbled upon open mics through like word of mouth. People told me about them. Like, uh, I was doing, I did a talent show at my college, right? At Purdue University, I did a talent show. I did 10 minutes of comedy in 2005, and uh, it went okay, right? So then after that, people just started, and there was a lot of people there. There was like 400 people there. So then, and all my friends, and, you know, it was the first time I was going to do stand-up, so everybody came out, family members, and all my friends at college, and I had a ton of friends in college. And it was a big deal. So then everybody started looking at me as a comedian, even though I wasn't, you know, I'd just done one fucking talent show. But then people started telling me about comedy. People would be like, hey, I saw a show over here. Why don't you do comedy there? So then I'd look into it. Oh, I heard they do comedy over there. And then I like would meet comedians and then they would tell me about shit. And I had like good jokes from the beginning. Like I was never kill a killer. I was never like fucking headlining, but I always had new jokes and I always had things that made people laugh. So then I'd always get like another opportunity, another opportunity, another opportunity. But I still was like trying to pursue veterinary medicine. I was still a student. I was still an idiot. I was still just like fucking around with my life. Didn't have any direction. Um, but I wanted to be a comedian, but I didn't know how. So I wanted to take classes at the Second City, right? I'm right by Chicago, comedy, Second City. So I looked into that, but it was super expensive. It was like $300 a class and I didn't have any money. I didn't, I was like trying to drop out of college to be a comedian, right? But I didn't think about it. I didn't look into it. So I did. At one point in 2005, I dropped out of college. I had finished my associate's degree as a veterinary technician. I got my associate's degree when I was supposed, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I wanted to be a doctor. When I went to college, I had gotten accepted into Purdue's pre-veterinary program. That's a difficult program to get into, right? And uh, I, I had all intentions of being a doctor. But then I started doing stand-up comedy randomly. Dave Chappelle happened 
And I started doing stand-up comedy. I decided I wanted to be a comic, dropped out of school, couldn't afford classes at Second City. So I went back to school. I went back to school and finished my bachelor's degree. And then, and then I thought comedy was just like a dream. I was like, it's impossible. I don't know how to do it. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand. What do you mean? You got to go to work all day and then go do comedy at night and then try to get up in the morning and go back to work for free. Like they're not paying you to do this. You're doing open mics at a bar where no one's listening to you. I was like, this seems fucking pointless. And I'm like a smart guy who wanted to be a doctor. And I was like, this is dumb. It's dumb. It's dumb. I'm not doing it. This, there's got to be something else. And I had, then I finished school and I had a job and I fucking hated it. I hated my job. I was a vet tech. I had a degree. I had a license in the state of Indiana and I was making $13 an hour with no insurance. And I wanted to blow my fucking brains out. So I went to Korea. Yeah. And I was like dealing with a breakup too. If anybody listens to the other episodes and know my life story, I had just broken up with my current wife. Like now my wife, Diana, her and I were dating then back in 2008 and her and I broke up and I was like totally going through depression and denial and hated my job and hated the money I made. So I went to Korea. I went to South Korea to get away from my current wife because she started dating somebody else and I saw them together and it like broke me and I had to, and I had to fucking leave. So ended up in Korea and then I found stand up soul one like lonely night before right. stand up soul. I spent most nights in Korea in the middle of nowhere in Jecheon, Jungbukdo, mm. South Korea, watching movies on the internet all day and all night. That's all I did. I would go to work, get out of work, go to my apartment on Friday night after work and stay in my apartment from Friday night until Monday morning when I went back to work. And I would just watch movies, play on the internet, jerk off a lot, you know, and just like <laughs> not have any kind of real life besides like work. But my work life was chill because uh, the people I worked with were cool. My boss was cool. And my boss taught me a lot of Korean. So I How can't many be too foreigners, mad at him. How many foreigners were in Jechon approximately was, when you were there? Man, there was maybe like 20, but I knew like 10 of them. But when I was there, I didn't know any of them. Nobody. I didn't know any foreigners at first. That's a very low percentage chance that there's going to be a bunch of cool people to hang out right. with if the number right. is 20 in total. Yeah. Yeah, out of a you know, town of like 40,000 people. You know what not, I mean? It's not like America is sending over their very best to teach in South Korea. No. Let me see how many people are in Jecheon. Let me find out uh, uh, some real statistics because I feel like it's way more than 40,000. There Jechon. were seven foreign teachers at the Hagwon that I worked at in 2002. And there were only two, seven? two and a half Americans. Okay, so Jechon has 137,147 people. And that's, that, you know, that's a pretty big sized town, but that's Asia, you know, it's a not too small, but it was in the middle of nowhere. But yeah, man. 20 fucking, people, though. So yeah, you, not many. So, not many so, people. And we, and we would like run into foreigners and like it would be a big deal. You would be like, holy shit, there's another foreigner around. And we all knew each other and it was fun. Jechon was like, by far, I for sure got lucky that I was stuck there because I met Henry, who was my best friend for fucking mm -hmm. 10 years. And I met a lot of other people that I still keep in contact with. And, uh, you know, I just had such a nice, well-rounded experience because of that. I got to learn Korean. I got to learn how to read and write. I got to meet so many Korean people before I got sucked into the foreigner world. And I no longer made friends with Korean people the same way. 
You know, I used to like go to Korean people's houses. I used to like go camping with them and go hiking with them and have all these weird little Korean experiences. And then once I started doing comedy and became like Itaewon fucking local, Itaewon regular, that all changed. All my friends were American or, or English speakers. And if they were Korean, they were fucking super different. They weren't like traditional Korean. They were like American Korean. They were smoking weed. They were getting fucked up. We were fucking partying our asses off and having a great old time. But because I learned Korean and could speak Korean a little bit and read and write, I had a really good relationship with all of my like Korean, Korean friends where we could share a lot, man. We shared a lot of experiences. We shared a lot of moments, man. I had a really awesome time in Korea. Really awesome. There's so many different ways to immerse yourself if you're willing to let go and let the real experiences naturally happen, like being invited to a Korean's home for some various reason. You fell into some odd circumstance and got yeah. invited. You, like, I, you know, like um, that happened to me when I was dating one. And I, I, mm. I think that's the only time it ever happened. No, it's not. That's actually not true at all. Um, yeah, dating no, a Korean is different. Right. That was the first time I had a, like, I had a, a guy that, so after you it dated like, a guy, no, no, no. A friend of mine, like explained to me how to do, how to actually make sure that if, when I was interacting with the father and I did it correctly, uh huh. you know? And so like the biggest bow of your life, you just have to blurt out the words. So that way a it's like bow. clear as day. Right. And then, you, you know, whatever, maybe if you got a big gift with, you know, I brought gifts for every person in her family. Oh, that's which gold. I would never do yeah. here. You know, I would never nah, do that. That'd be weird. <laughs> that's funny. No, man, I think uh, I had a great yeah. time there. And then Stand Up Soul happened, right? So I had no friends. I didn't know anybody. And then I looked up stand. I looked up stand up comedy online. Like I just Googled it, and I found Stand Up Soul. And I went to an open mic. Turns out it was mm -hmm. like their. I think it. If I I could be wrong, but it might have been their second or third time doing it. So I got in there really early on, luckily, and Brian Elward was just on the podcast two episodes ago, the uh, the founder, the original, the originator of Stand Up Soul. I just had him on. Great honor to have that motherfucker. Changed my life. And uh, then everything took off. After I started doing stand up in Korea, once again, you know, I, I was doing well and things just did better and better. But going from Korea to Chicago, to LA, to the comedy store, like all of it happened, you know, not fast. Like I really felt like I put the work in, like I wrote the jokes. I traveled here and there. I wrote jokes for all these different kinds of people. Like there's definitely not that that many comedians out there who have had the comedy experience that I have, right? Or the, like the perspective that I have. So I, f I feel like it's not, it's not hard for me to understand why I can get people to watch me or listen to me. And it's the same thing when I'm teaching. Like when I'm talking to my students, and they want to tune me out, right? Because they're they're young or they're, you know, whatever. They're in a bad mood. It doesn't take much energy or long for me to like get their attention because I just explain to them like, you have this incredible opportunity to learn from me, and you don't understand how rare it is for you to learn from me. There's nothing about this interaction that's not benefiting you. Nothing. Every time I look at you, every time I ask you a question, every time you talk to me, it's benefiting you because you've never met anybody like me before, I promise. And they want to not believe you. They want to like call you out, but it doesn't take long for me to prove it. I'm like, just look what I've done. Like I've done picture day, Albert picture day, 
Well, I'll go through my Facebook and show them like all the phases of my life. Like I grew up in dirt poverty in East Chicago, Indiana. I literally grew up in a three car garage that my grandpa and my mom and my uncles and my dad probably turned into a house. They put in some plumbing, they put in a kitchen and shit in a three car garage for my mom, my brother, my sister and me. And my dad lived there at some point. And uh, now that house has been torn down because uh, uh, somebody OD'd in there, a homeless person, crackhead. OD'd in there. It was abandoned for many years. So I grew up like that. So my students, because they're all like very fucking impoverished. They're, they're like the 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 least educated. Not even want to say that. Not least educated. They're like uh, the forgotten. Like, you know, no child left behind. These are all the ones that got left behind. Like they they have no opportunity, no sense of awareness. They have like no one's ever told them how much opportunity they have or how much potential they have. They think that their only options are what they see around them. And that's how I grew up. I grew up not even knowing that I could travel to South Korea, that I could do stand-up comedy. You know what I mean? Like nobody told me that. Nobody informed me that people like me could do that type of shit. I thought that was just shit you see on TV. So when I'm teaching my students and I can show them where I came from and what I've done and how I still like, I don't have a lot. I'm not driving around a Benz. I don't have a million followers on Instagram. I'm doing it just because I want to. And you're going to tell me that you want to, but you're not doing the things that it takes to get it. You just want it. Wanting is just the beginning. You got to actually start doing shit. And look what I've done to get to where I am, where I get to live in Los Angeles and I get to have my wife and I get to have food in my refrigerator and I get to, you know, my stepson needs something. We can help him out. My stepson has a full ride to Indiana University, to Bloomington, Big Ten, D1, fucking one of the best schools around. He has a four-year scholarship because he did so well in high school. And I was there for a lot of it. So I take credit. I drove his ass to school before he knew how to drive. And, uh, and you know, I love IU. I'm glad that he went there. I'm from Indiana. My cousin Angel is the head wrestling coach at IU Bloomington. So I have family there in Bloomington. It's the perfect for school for him to be in. And he wants to be a dentist. So he wants to study medicine. So he wants to help people. I'm all for that. I take partial credit for all that. So what I'm saying is like, it, you know, I try to show them that I married a woman with a kid who got pregnant young. My wife got pregnant when she was 16, had a kid at 17, because my students, are, a lot of them are young Latinas. A lot of them are single moms, and they feel like they can use that as an excuse. I'm like, no, fuck that. My mom was a single mom. She had three kids, divorced. She did it by herself. My mom has a master's degree and a house and fucking car and a life, you know, and all that shit. So I'm like, you guys, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm trying to tell you that it's possible. That's it. It is possible and I can help you. And just that alone, you know, it, it changes their, their, their way that they look at me immediately. And the same thing when I'm talking to an audience on stage, like if, my, if I can get my jokes out the way I intend them to, like it doesn't take long to connect. The people come there to hear comedy. They come there to hear like a clear thought. So if you're not good at comedy, you're going to lose them immediately. But if you're good at it, you could get them and then they can hear you and it's it. And that's something that I could do for sure. I could get their attention. Now, can I get them to laugh? That all depends. You know, that's harder. You know, that's the trick. Uh, and speaking of which, you tried stand-up. Don't let me forget about that. How did your open mic go? I have yet to watch the footage of the five minute or five and a half minutes I was up there. It didn't go. It, I, I've, I've learned a lot since that. Let's just say that. You know, I've learned a lot. I, I'm still continuing to learn. I was, we were watching the, the Dave Chappelle, Mark Twain award. Mark Twain. Get, get teary eyed. You know, they, they come, that thing was, yeah, am, that was amazing. Come, Good job, Netflix. Yeah. Netflix is killing it. Uh, 
but the comedy, yeah, I, I, I'm still intrigued. I, I, I kind of wish I was in LA for a period of time to even like, I don't know, have, have the, have the opportunity to have more than one place to go within an hour's driving range. Hell yeah. You know, to, to like experience the world, the desert, the ocean, the mountain. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you can, you know, you can go any day there if you hustle, if you want it bad enough, or if you, yeah, if you um, want it, you know, just want to work on your craft. Yeah, man, it's out there. That's what I like about it too. Everybody that shits on LA, my, my wife and I talk about it all the time. It's like people who have anything negative to say about us living out here. They're like, oh, it's so expensive. You could have so much more out here. I'm like, yeah, but then like I'm stuck in Indiana. Like, yeah, I'm paying more, of course, because it's better. Like you pay more for better. Just that's it. And it's just like, it's a simple thing for me. Uh, And it has a lot to do with the ability to do comedy. Like that's a huge advantage. But not only that, there's there's also like the, the, the want that I had to be somewhere warm, you know, that's like something I always wanted since I was a kid, like in a fantasy in my head. Like I wanted yeah. to work with animals. I wanted to do comedy. I wanted a beautiful wife. Like I just have everything that I always wanted. And now what I want is to not have to uh, be gone from Drive home. Drive to work. Yeah. I don't, yeah. <laughs> well, shit. That would be nice too. No, I don't mind fucking working, man. Just comedy. I just need, I want to do stand up more. Like I want to do more stand up. I need to find ways, hopefully through this podcast. I get booked doing some shit. Like if I got to do, if I got to be the veterinary fucking comedian, I will write a thousand dog jokes or whatever you need me to do. You know, like I'll be that guy. I'm like, a, I'm about to write a dog book. I'm about to lean into this fucking animal shit, dude. I don't care. Uh, and it's fine, man. I got a lot of time in my hands. It I need some hip people. There's no, there's nothing like that. I see this like weird guy with the cat and the Caesar Milans and shit out there. And that's cool, but they don't, there's, there's nothing there's a niche not being filled and I could see myself in it, but I also don't mind like producing, directing, writing, being in behind the scenes. I really don't want to be on camera. Like that's for sure. This has been said and I'll say it a thousand times. I really don't want to care what I look like. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to do have to do makeup or lighting or stand here yeah. or s- say it like this. Like, I don't man, I'm, I'm over all that shit. I don't ever want to be an actor uh, or even be on camera, man. Like, did you see the video I just right. posted today about me helping that dude with his dog? I did. I thought you did an excellent job. Yeah. And you see, I'm wearing my house shoes and I'm in shorts and like, I haven't cut my hair in two weeks. Like, that's me. Yes. That's what, that's me. Like, that's who I want to be on TV. Like, if I can't be that guy on TV, I don't want to be anybody. I'll be just behind the scenes. <laughs> that's fine for me. Well, yeah. I mean, sometimes you might have to shave. <laughs> You know, sure. I mean, if I want to, if they're going to pay you money, right? You yeah, know, if you, they you, pay me, sure. Right, pay me if to shave. Pay you a thousand dollars for something, right? You shave, you'll do it. You'll do it every time. I don't know. Action bucks, Bronson would. probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> a thousand might not be enough after a while, maybe. Well, shit, man, I'm working on it. How, how did? Okay, let's get back to why I want always, always, always want Richard on the podcast. Can you help? me and my friends out there that want to get shit going on YouTube, how you did it? What did you do? So Richard, tell us about your podcast that you did have. Cause I know like for you guys introduction, it was about Korean dramas and I know that wasn't your original idea. So as in the next, I don't know, five minutes, could you sum up like how you got to where you were when you were at your peak? Like, how did you do it? 
So in 2012 was when the YouTube channel How You Back started. It was May 2015, May, two, May 2012. She made uh, she made her first video related to Korean dramas, and we we did a lot of planning before that because we sort of figured out several things. One was to be successful. We first off, we felt like in 2012 we were getting into the YouTube game late. Okay. Yes. Yeah, but uh, you I weren't. Mean, but you weren't. <laughs> it, clearly, yeah. looking back, it was a great idea to push it as hard as you could. When I finally had been had taught myself to edit for over a year at that point, um, but I was I, I had been editing a lot of documentary movies that uh, took a lot of time and a lot of coordination, and so with the, we 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 pivoted towards just filming ourselves because we were the people that we could rely on the most. That was sort of how YouTube happened, also. So when when she came up with the grand idea of do of reviewing korean dramas nobody was doing it or if they were they were you know they had like a hundred subscribers or something small um it, it didn't have good lighting or a good camera um and so we we created a show that was one of the secrets that people weren't picking up on with youtube they just like to, to crack the the youtube code if you could come up with a like it looked like a show but you could still only you only need to make it for five minutes mm -hmm. or something or six minutes or whatever um that, that was a way to put something out once every week that people could grab onto. And by show, you just you mean know, like it had a beginning, middle, and end? Yeah, like a little intro, little animation intro. Like it could be two seconds or four seconds or something, but you named it something so you could put that in the title of the YouTube video. Um, we, 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 we started doing something called Toad, Tuesday's Only Korean Drama. It ended up being the worst idea we had, but it was still a good idea because people remembered Toad, Tuesday's only Asian drama. We'd upload every Tuesday. Um, That's and, funny. That's good, though. Yeah, you need something catchy. Right. So the second, so so that, so in May we were in Korea, and then that summer we were both back in the United States. That was the year I was filming the American Dream drop, uh, Korea, uh, documentary movie, which you were part of, which hasn't been still created yet, and I'm going to sell the Netflix. Hey, coming up. Yep. And uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> They're crossed, uh, buddy. They're crossed. There we go. Um, and, and, uh, we, so she, she was on her own. I was out like with this intern from, from Mexico who had come to be my cameraman as we traveled around interviewing professors at different universities around the country. And Stephanie had learned how to edit herself at that point. And she made uh, a different, we were still like just starting with the show toad and she made a different one, which was five different dramas, like to her top five, you know, like dramas of that month or whatever. They could be from any country. It wasn't just Korea. She she also did stuff from Taiwan and in Japan. And she was actually a bigger fan of Japanese stuff than she ever was of Korea in the beginning. Mm, didn't you know, know that. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know the 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 word is out now, but it, you know at the time sure. it, it was you, you, hush, you hush. wanted to stay super niche. You stay yeah. super niche. Stick to your brand. And her so that video though she edited that without me. I was you know because I was kind of helping like figure out like like what video we should do next. And she'd put that out cause I was away and that video did better than anything I had put up wow. because people wanted the different shows that were coming out. So that was the first clue. Something that they to, had to like keep up with and could tune into and like check in on. Yeah. So then after that, we created the second show called top five Fridays. Mm -hmm, that's and what I that remember. was the pop. That was the popular one. Yeah. All of a sudden we could do top five, anything we want, any list we could think of. And, 
Um, so then we started in September. When we got back and we started going every Friday, every Friday, every Tuesday, every Friday, every Tuesday, every Friday. And then we created three weeks worth of videos because we got married. We, we got married that October. We created three weeks worth of videos because we were going to Thailand for our honeymoon for three weeks in January. Wow. And we, I uploaded everything to YouTube prior to that. And it was just sitting on YouTube and we put one out called top five Korean dramas, 2012, I think. Mm -hmm. And that one, that one started going up. And then the next video, the next Friday was top five new 2013 Korean dramas. Wow. Okay. That was the title. That was it. That was the title. That, that was, we learned that that's what they were searching in Google. That video like went way up. Yeah, sure. Like we, in our title, we had hit what people were actually typing in. Did you do search like SOEs? So Did you like invest in any of that? So you, so with the, SEOs, there was different tools. That, yeah, there was, there were different tools in the beginning that you could use to see what, what were the popular search terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, Korean dramas were popular, right? We were going as, as we entered, we were entering into something that was already being put in high demand, but oh, it was yeah. mostly, I didn't know that because now I'm in the right. United States and there's all these people that love Korean dramas. And I'm like, holy shit, I didn't even know this oil existed, right. you know, it's like there's oil right. in the hills. <laughs> it's mostly in indonesian malaysian to philippines whatever man no i got students though some of my students are yeah. like they speak there's Korean. a lot of people in those countries though yeah yeah you're right uh they, they yeah and but they, so that was interesting for us to like see a video we, we we were able to see oh they're looking for this so we started making new korean dramas every month and that became our popular video for a number of years i mean i say our it's really stephanie stephanie is like sure she she just she got so good she 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 would just be able to just just tell me the name of the guy and improvise every time whereas mm. in the beginning it had to be written out it had had to be memorized you know like like you just start out in the beginning you don't know what you're doing sure. you know it's kind of, it's kind of like going going up on stage in comedy and bombing and you For just sure. have to like it's hopefully all awkward. And go you can fucking like be be humble and watch yourself suck and be like oh fuck dude i can change that a little and then you sure. change if you keep mm. going you know and so like you're just doing it on video and and in the beginning when people actually start fucking noticing it's you you all of these fucking ideas are going off and you're just you're learning so much at once you know and you you, you you're realizing people don't even realize what they they like unconsciously like sure right they're they're clicking on out of lust or like what they're you know they don't even remember like you know if you were to confront people with like oh this is what you looked at in the past month right and they'd be like I, you know like i don't remember most of that right that you know like um korean dramas was not being fulfilled as a niche in video so then you guys so when I, were in it and things are hot and then didn't you get invited to like a youtube convention or some one of those steph wasn't steph and i were invited to kcon in 2015 when they were having they used to hold kcon in la starting in 2012 i think and then the first year they rolled it out in New York over the summer, KCON is this huge uh, set of concerts that Koreaboo, the website Koreaboo puts on. Sure. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And that guy's done well. And he, you know, he helped introduce some of the K-pop over the United States in, in big venues. In 2015, they did it. They held it at the, I want to say Prudential Center, but that's not, I don't, maybe that's not what it's called. Maybe it is Newark, New Jersey, whatever the big arena is there. I don't know. I'm not an East Yeah, Coast it was a big guy. deal. Sure. Gr Girls' Generation came that year. Um, 
yeah, that was a lot of fun. I mean, going and then uh, 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 being one of the ones that's invited, you know, you, you know, they come sure. to the hotel room and, and uh, you know, people know who. who so did you like have a booth like. or did you just like walk around and say hi to people? So, that, so it was two nights. The first night she actually hosted the event that happened in a large movie theater in downtown Newark. Where were we? No, were, were we in New York City? I can, yeah, I think we were in the city. I, I, anyways, she, she hosted it. She hosted the entire thing. We put a video together for that. And then the next day, yeah, we were just, we were just hanging out. Uh, we didn't have a booth. Oh, okay. There was no booth. There was no booth. No, we just had free tickets in. That's so we still fucking cool, man. I mean, at the time, you must have seen it as like a good time to network and see what else you can do to, you know, spread out your brand. We hung out with JRE, who, do you know who that is? Sounds familiar. Who is it? JRE KML. He's like the head it's dude. not Joe Rogan experience, right? No, no. It's <laughs> the dude in Miami. He's a uh, uh, K-pop review. He's like the OG K-pop review. He's got the biggest channel on the shit. And I'm... Um, Mouth the loop, dude. I know. Well, yeah, I know no, nothing it, Korean pop culture. We got anymore. to hang out with him. Okay, that was cool. We got yeah, we got to hang out with him, and we were we were there with him. And KML was there, and I got to meet her. Um, and yeah, we didn't get to go backstage. the The other dude, famous Amos, he keeps changing his name on YouTube. It's the you've seen his video. You you know Sounds who familiar. this guy is. Like his he he did a video where he was like, "Why people love it? Korean men?" I think it was like. 2009 and it just you know it sounds real famous uh, real familiar like i do know who that is i do know who that is he was in one of miguel saddam's videos okay that makes sense he he was there so no but the bigger thing that we were invited to was in 2013 in korea when we got to attend the youtube music awards when they held it in seoul yeah that was we hung out with just kidding films that that are just still, kidding, still living just in kidding like from instagram you know them. Those guys I don't are know, huge. Just kidding. Some of the. I mean, I, maybe I do, man. I'm, I tell and, you, I'm stupid. And, I don't pay attention to a lot YouTube. of things. This is real, man. I don't pay attention to a lot of things. I'm fucking busy. I'm a busy, dude. I, I like. <laughs> I like to tune everything out. But I have a full time fucking job, man. Like I'm, yeah, I'm that, at work, and then good. when I'm not at work, because I work forty hours in four days, I do four tens. So by yeah. the time I'm done working, it's literally been like a twelve hour day from like waking up, driving to work, working all day, coming home. De, you know decompressing eating and then spending time with my wife and spending time with my pets and then and then it's time to go back to bed and go to work in the morning like and then i have my friday saturday sunday off which is great right but say i use one of those days as a complete recovery which is really nice don't get me wrong then the other two days get filled up with all the shit that i couldn't do monday through thursday because i didn't have any time so it's like man i'm fucking burning the candle at both ends all the time which is fine i'm not complaining i'm saying this is just what it is so right now i'm trying to yeah, I'm trying to get it all done, and I refuse to not hustling, say yes dude. to things you know, that I like, want you, to do. Like, I'm trying to write scripts. I'm doing roast battle. I'm doing the podcast. I'm doing training for work. Like, I finished a certification right before I, I started this podcast with you. My boss wants me to do five by the end of the month. I've already done four. I need mm. to do one more. So I want to do more than he wants me to do. I'll do fucking three more if I can. But I also need to write these scripts, and I also need to write these jokes. I also need to edit <laughs> videos for TikTok. For everybody out there, my videos are doing pretty good on TikTok for a comedy video. They're not going big girl twerker butt viral, but they're going joke good. You know, like as far as I could do for a joke, I'm happy with my TikTok results. So follow me on TikTok. Uh, we are going to start wrapping up this podcast unless... Uh, What's the name of your TikTok channel? It's Albert Escobedo. 
Oh, perfect. Nobody had it. That's perfect. Albert Escobedo. You can't find it. You can't miss it. And then uh, I have my podcast Twitter, uh, TikTok too. It's at Pet Peeves Podcast. You can find the podcast TikTok, which is just shit about my pets and about the podcast. I'm going to do highlight videos for that. I got to edit. And then I have to do ones for Instagram and do ones for Albert Escobedo stand-up TikTok. Like I got a bunch of editing to do. And uh, I'm writing scripts for my friend Niles Abstin. Niles Abstin, his stand-up comedy special is coming out May 1st. It's called Girls Don't Twerk to Jokes. He's probably the funniest kid that I've met in 10 years. He's got the most talent, the best like work ethic and drive and personality that, you know, if we can keep him out of trouble, he's going to do amazing things. So he's got all these meetings, pitch meetings with Netflix. So I'm trying to write scripts just in case, you know, if he's my friend and he's telling me that maybe I can help you, I'm going to be ready for that shit. I'm not wasting time, but my job is my priority. My wife is my priority. My pets are my priority. So the scripts got to wait, man. You know, if that's the thing that if I don't get a Netflix opportunity through Niles, that's no big deal. You know, like that's great. Somebody hands you a favor, but you can't rely on shit like that. You know, that's a once in a lifetime. You got to build your own, right? So Niles, what he wants me to focus on is the Pet Peeves podcast, right? So that's what I'm leaning into, that Albert as a brand, veterinary medicine and animals and Albert have already become a thing. So there's no reason to deny it. And uh, it's fine. So uh, that's what I'm going to keep doing this podcast so all you guys that are listening, please sponsor the podcast. We want to do better, better equipment. Actually pay the people who help me. Like I have a guy who helps me audio edit in Belgium. His name is Matthew Beagley. And I don't pay this motherfucker and I would like to pay him. I would like to go visit that motherfucker. I haven't seen him in a long ass time. I would like to be able to, uh, you know, my comedian friends that are not working right now and they do podcasts with me, it'd be great to shoot them a couple bucks just to spend an hour and a half with me. For you guys to hear on the podcast, sponsor us. There's an anchor uh, link that you can sponsor the podcast. Uh, We are going to start doing product placement and affiliate links through Amazon because we're going to whore ourselves out there for the pet community. We're going to recommend products and all that shit because we need to start making some money. Coronavirus or not, COVID-19 or not, you know, Pet Peeves Podcast got to grow. Thank you, Richard, for being here. What's your uh, social media looking like? How could people find what you're trying to put out there these days? Finger Painting Star on YouTube. Search Finger Painting Star and you will get the best channel on YouTube that will instruct you how to paint with your fingers. Finger Painting Star on YouTube with yep. uh, Steph Ishler. Yep. Fucking I- thank you, Richard, again, as always. Um, you know, you'll be on again and again. This is just going to keep happening. So just take care of your cats. Take care of your, your art behind you. When are you going to start finger painting? Are you doing it too? She's trying to get me. She's she's got something else planned for me that's going to be easier finger painting first. So, and I haven't got. You know what I would yet. watch? I would watch somebody like you get all stoned and try to recreate like a really like a like a not not like a a, a famous art, but say like you you try to paint a picture of a dog with finger paints. Like I would watch you do that stoned, and it would probably be hilarious. Because what are the chances that with your finger paint it's going to look anything like what it's supposed to look like? Do you know what I mean? I think it would be funny. That's a funny idea to me. Like That's a great suggestion. I don't know. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, I don't know why things like that are funny to me, but I really want to write scripts. Anybody out there uh, got any ideas for me, shoot them. Mine as well. Pet related. Let's get things going. Pet Peeves Podcast, episode 34. Richard Lucchese, thank you for being here, man. I really appreciate it. All you guys out there listening, I appreciate it. You can find me, Albert Escobedo, at Albert Escobedo on Instagram or at Albert M. Escobedo on Twitter, or at Albert Escobedo on TikTok. 
You can find the Pet Peeves Podcast on Instagram at Pet Peeves Pod. On Insta- uh, on uh, sorry, on Twitter at Pet Peeves Pod. On Instagram at Pet Peeves Podcast. And send questions about pets to my Gmail, Podcast at gmail.com. I need like I need like a recording track that I could just play at the end for this shit. Uh, You're good at it. Pre-recorded. No, it's fine. I don't mind. It's it's good for me to know, right? And you can find the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor, Google Play Music, Google Podcasts, YouTube. What else? Some other shit. You can find it. Oh, I saw it on uh, iHeartRadio the other day. That was pretty fucking baller. Hey and, yo. Uh, you know, go watch, go listen to the other episodes. Follow those comedians. Follow Richard and what his wife Stephanie's doing. You know, we want to all support each other, build a little community. Follow all the all the people that have listened, are to that have been on my podcast. And thank you guys once again. Pet Peeves Podcast signing out. Take it easy. Take care of yourselves. Bye, Richard. See you, Albert. Thank you, dude. Thank you.